Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And I am so grateful to have my good friend, Rochelle Poth. Uh, who is going to be joining us for a conversation today on professional development uh, and really just thinking about some of the things that have taken place over the course of this past year uh, that have pushed how we think about connecting, collaborating, uh, communicating with others in our profession in new ways. And so it's been really fun uh, to kind of navigate some of those waters. Honestly, you know, Rochelle's a friend, and so I've gotten a chance to learn a lot from her. And really, I just have seen so many new avenues open up over the course of this year that I decided to ask her on to the pod so that we could kind of explore some of those and share those out with our audience. And so, Rochelle, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. Glad to be here to talk with you. Yeah, and for people that don't know you, can you share a little bit about your backstory in education? Uh, let us know, yeah, a little bit about your, your journey in EDU. Well, it has been a very long journey because uh, I love school and it was always a joke in my family about, you know, what are you going to go study next and what kind of classes are you going to enroll in, enroll in now? And so anyway, I am currently a Spanish and STEAM educator. I've also taught French. I've been teaching at my school for many years. I won't say how many years, but it has definitely been a long time outside of Pittsburgh. In addition to teaching, I'm also a consultant and an attorney, and I wasn't kidding when I said I love school because I went to law school while still teaching full time. And actually, a lot of people tend to think that I was an attorney first and then became a teacher, but it was the other way around. I was already teaching, I think, six years full time before I went to law school, but uh, I don't think... More than I don't think. I, I could probably say with almost certainty that I would not still be in education had not been for my experience in law school just because... I got to be a student again. I got to experience challenges with learning. I got to see a different experience for like student and teacher relationships and develop confidence in learning too. So a lot of things that definitely changed me as a person, but also helped me to see what it meant to be a teacher differently. And so since graduating law school, which was many years ago at this point, uh, I've, I've brought a lot of new ideas into my classroom because of that experience. So I love learning, love talking about education, and uh, that's a little bit about me in a nutshell. Well, now you got me uh, wanting to do a little like offshoot here and ask, <laughs> but what, what is it that you did feel like you learned? Because you alluded to it a couple times there that as a student, as an adult, and somebody who's passionate about learning, what was it that you took away from that dynamic that you feel like has been, sounds like I don't use put words in your mouth, transformative though, in how you thought about the work we do? Yeah, well, when I first started teaching, for some reason in my mind, I just thought, I don't see myself doing this for an entire career. For, I set my mind on like 10 years. I was gonna be in education for 10 years. And I didn't know what I would do after that. I had no plan in mind. But when I went to law school, I struggled in some of the classes. And so I had, I had taken classes before law school, but they were just in getting my Spanish degree. So it wasn't really difficult for me because I did well in those classes. But when I went to law school, trying to balance teaching full time, also trying to learn all of these different courses in the law. And it wasn't easy, of course. And uh, there, there were some that I really didn't do well in. And I was put on the spot a couple of times in some of the classes. And I've told the story so many times over the years, like my contract law class, three hours almost split between two Tuesday nights of class, 
waiting for me to come up with an answer to a question that I had totally forgotten what the question even was at, at a couple points throughout it. And so the professor was really kind of visibly frustrated with me, but in a comical kind of way, but you know, nobody could help me. I couldn't figure out the answer, but I had done everything that I felt that I could. I read, I reread, I took notes. I, I thought I prepared, but I wasn't prepared to kind of apply the knowledge at a higher level. I was basically preparing myself just to recall facts. And so that experience of a teacher having incredible wait time and that discomfort that I experienced of not knowing an answer and looking at the clock thinking, yeah, okay, I know three more minutes, the class is going to end and I'll be done. And then him saying, Coth, we'll pick up with you next week. And I thought, oh my gosh, I have to keep up with this. So it taught me a good lesson about not letting students give up easily in class, which is something you call on them. Well, I don't know. I'm going to get it wrong. And sometimes you can see that they're uncomfortable. And so you might say, okay, you know, I'll come back to you and let them get away with it. But instead now I say, well, let me tell you about the time that it was three hours for me to answer a question. So that is one experience is knowing what that's like and thinking about ways that I can help students to kind of figure out how to answer and build confidence. The other piece was one of my law professors who became a great mentor, also a friend, and we're still friends. He actually contributed to my most recent book, but I knew about him. I, I didn't have him as a teacher initially for the first, I think, two years while I was there, but first year we had to do these oral arguments and it was kind of a competition for first year students. You wrote a paper and then you could have been chosen to go and present this argument. And then there were different rounds. Well, I had been selected to go, it was on Saturday afternoon, went down to present my case and he was in the room. And uh, after we were finished, my parents were there. And of course they were like, oh, you did great. It was wonderful, you know, great job. And of course parents are gonna say that. But we walked out of the room and he came over to me and he said, hey kid, you did a really nice job in there. And I was like, wait, what? You know, the fact that he came over and said that to me and took the time. And so that gave me kind of, I don't know, it gave me a little bit more confidence of having a validation, I guess, in a sense. So after that, I did have him for class and I was kind of struggling a little bit with it. So I made an appointment to go because you can make an appointment to go and talk to some of your professors if you had a test, if you had a question. And I remember walking in and he had so many things in his office, books, cases, it was just so much work. And I felt so bad taking up his time. And when I got there, I said, I'm sorry, I'll make this really quick. I, I, I know you have a lot to do. And he said, nothing is more important. He pushed everything aside, have a seat, sit down and talk. And that point, you know, I thought, okay, like he clearly has a ton of things to do He's writing his own books, doing teaching and everything. But all of that just got pushed to the side because I had a question and he made that time. And so I saw that relationship differently. And so I started to take that back into my classroom. Um, and then of course, part of it was becoming more confident in myself and developing some skills like communicate and collaborate and all of that. And so all of those ended up transferring back into my classroom. And when people say, how long have you been teaching? I could give you the real date of when I started, but I talked to somebody a couple of days ago and I said, you know, I almost feel like I really didn't start teaching until after I graduated law school because I was a totally different person from those experiences. And had it not been for law school, I don't think that I would still be in education. And so it cuts out a couple of years of my teaching career in that case. But, uh, you know, there's just been so many positives from it. And 
that, that transfer into the classroom. And some of them, it's just a good model for lifelong learning. Some of them are funny because if students try to say, well, I didn't do that. And you're like, well, you know, I can kind of analyze it. I think you kind of did, but also getting different perspectives and hearing different sides of stories. So that was a really long answer to your question. I'm sorry. <laughs> just kept... no. Well, I asked because I was curious and, yeah. you know, in the midst of you sharing that too, you actually referenced something that came up on a, a previous podcast that we did about a month ago with a couple of principals where they uh, really just advocated that as school leaders and school administrators, as teachers come in, they're shouldering the weight of everything that's going on in this, at this time. Sometimes it's to vent, sometimes it's to seek some guidance and what it means uh, and how challenging it is too, I think, as you brought up, to just shove everything aside and just be present and supportive is tough. And it's so odd. I think sometimes in life, things just kind of come up thematically, or maybe I'm just a little more attuned to them. But I've heard three or four people just tell a similar story to that in the last few weeks. Uh, and it, it made me start to wonder, as you were sharing there too, these lessons that you learned that made you a better teacher, do you see some of those having their applicability in your support of educators? Uh, and you're very active, whether it's through ISTE or just all the different places that you have a very strong like online presence. Um, or in your consulting work? I mean, do you see the lessons that you took away from that time as being instructive towards that dynamic? Yeah, definitely. Just because I always think about the importance of making time for others is a big piece of what I've, I've taken away from that. And being a mentor to somebody or just a place for support, no judgment, whatever, you know, that safe space to confide in somebody that it's, it, it shouldn't just be limited to, like as a teacher, it shouldn't just be limited to whenever we have our, the students in our classroom, or should it just be limited to the students that are in our classrooms? Because the students in the school being present for others and with our networks and connecting with other, other educators, I mean, that is something that needs to be a constant to, to check in with, you know, hey, how you doing? How's it going? Uh, to not kind of let those things pass by those moments and being intentional about making those connections happen. And uh, if not just with us and somebody else that we know, facilitating interactions and connections for other people too, that we know that they can support one another. What would you say then, because you kind of gave us a little bit of the timeline here, as far as you got to a place after you went through law school where you felt like the teaching started to improve, what, at what point did you start to engage the larger education community, you know, nationally and, and internationally as well uh and what, what did that look like well that took a little bit longer <laughs> <laughs> i would assume so right i know yeah because i when i graduated law school it was 2006 so that has that has definitely been i mean 15 years almost here come june but it wasn't until i would say probably 2013 2012 2013 is when I started to change a lot of things in my classroom because I had been teaching the way I've been taught for a long time because the methodology courses that I had in my undergrad were not anything like what they are now. As far as teacher preparation and knowing different frameworks or methodologies, you name it, I really didn't know a lot because I didn't have that background in my experience as a student. So I was, you know, using what was comfortable to me, what worked for me for a long time. But then because I love school, everybody kept saying, wait a minute, you have your bachelor's and you have this degree in Spanish and you got a law degree. What's your master's in? I never got a master's. It just, I just kind of skipped it along the way. I thought about getting a master's in Spanish, but I, 
I just, not that I wasn't interested in Spanish. I just, I wanted to do something differently. And so what happened was in my classroom, I kind of fell into a lot of these different uh, things like blended learning, flipped learning, app smashing, differentiation, you know, all of those without necessarily realizing it at the time, because I noticed around, like I said, 2013, I was having problems with some student engagement, uh, behaviors and all of that. And I took a really long look at what I was doing in my classroom. I had some conversations with students and I started to build more relationships. Like that was one thing that definitely started to change is before where I was all about, you know, we're going to start the lesson. Here it is. Here's your homework. Okay. See you tomorrow. Do the same thing the next day. I started to get away from that a little bit more and open up more opportunities for students to kind of collaborate, even though that was uncomfortable for me because I was like, it's noisy. You're out of your seats or something. I realized that they needed to have that social interaction because that was something that I experienced in law school was having the support of classmates who were trying to help me a little bit during that three hour experience uh, and kind of coach me along throughout that support. So I started to do some things like that, brought in some technology, and then it just kind of evolved. I was more confident after law school. But when it came to presenting, you know, PD sessions or something like that, I never wanted to be the one that would speak up at a table. You know, you're, hey, we did this activity. Okay, we need one volunteer from each table. I'm like, it's not me. I would hide under the table. Didn't matter. You need me to post something on the wall. Fine. You want me to take notes? I'll do it. I am not the spokesperson because I just didn't, I didn't feel confident in that regard. But then what changed it is that we had two seventh grade students come in and do a presentation about something I think they were learning in English. And I remember sitting in the middle of the room, seeing these two 13 year olds standing in the front, ready to go presentation on the smart board, didn't look nervous at all. And I was sitting in the middle of the room thinking, wow, this room is full of teachers, not just from the high school, from their school, but from elementary schools. And they're just like nothing's happening, you know? And I thought to myself, I wouldn't even want to stand up there and present. And at that moment, I realized that I had been asking students to do something that I wasn't prepared to do myself. So I need to change that. And so I took a big leap, myself and my students included, and I found that there were these technology showcases and ed tech conferences locally and then at the state level. And I said to uh, one of my classes, hey, you know, I think I'm going to have us apply to do, I don't know, presentation at a conference. What do you think? And there were a couple that were on board right away, a couple eighth grade students. Oh yeah, let's do it. And I, they said, well, what does it entail? I said, well, it's talking about what you're doing in Spanish. How are you using technology and maybe doing a presentation? So yeah, we'll do that. Okay. And then they said, but what are you going to present on? I said, oh, I'm just going to be there on the side as you, as you present. And apparently they didn't really think that was the best plan. So they said, but can't you present something too? And I said, well, it's a student showcase. And they said at a tech conference, at an ed tech conference. So there must be something for educators. So of course I had to put myself out there too. And so that was Oh, let's see, 2014, which was right around the time that I happened to find a program to get my master's in educational technology. So it all kind of worked out like that was the start of what has now become the past seven years of just continuing to find opportunities for my students mainly, but of course for myself, but then to kind of get out of the way and let them take the lead and then just to keep challenging myself to do more. So it has not been like an overnight thing, especially from somebody who didn't use Twitter and didn't really want to use Facebook and just didn't get it. But 
I'm so thankful that I took that leap to dive into some of these communities because I wouldn't know you. I wouldn't know a lot of other people that are out there. And the worst part of it is like, had I not, I wouldn't have been able to bring in so many different experiences from my students. They would still be doing the same packets and the same projects and sitting at their seats. So. Well, and two things I love about that is the one being willing to step into an uncomfortable space and model that for your students and not, I love too that it's coming from there spurring you on to do that. <laughs> so it's, yeah. hey, put yourself out there, go for it. You know, you should really look for these opportunities and then to do that and to communicate that with them is to model what you're asking them to do, uh, which sounds, you know, simple. And why would, why would we not do that all the time? But it's not easy. And it certainly isn't something that I think is as common as uh, it might feel, you know, to, I know it's been six, seven years that you've been putting yourself out there now, but when you really talk with folks, that's, that's a big leap. So I'd encourage people to consider that, right? To share an idea, whether that's in a tweet or a session or how, however it is that your experiences have led you to feel inclined and, and equipped, hopefully to, to share a little piece of your story for the betterment of us all. It's always a really powerful thing. And the second thing I'd like to kind of point out about your story that, that at least it was my experience. We'll see if like this resonates with you at all. But like you said, you come out of college and you have your set experiences that you've learned and you know that these things work for you and there comes a point where maybe situation you know, like the students like you said force you to kind of do and, and learn some new things and you adapt a little bit but, but I still think there's a ceiling there that without having uh, other people to bounce ideas off of to learn from to collaborate with uh, it, it does it can get stagnant and it's really at least for me it was really great to have other people who are as passionate as I was about education and way more creative and uh, you know, just looking to, to do different things. And, and not necessarily even more creative, but just creative in different avenues and just think about the work differently that to uh, connect with those folks is just a, a really powerful way to move your practices forward. Uh, and, it's, and it's motivating, foster friendships out of that. And it's folks that keep you accountable uh, to continuing to learn and grow. And uh, would you say that's kind of been your experience a little bit as well? Yeah, definitely. It's uh it's amazing just looking back I mean, with each passing year, but I did a series of blogs years ago about how I was wrong about, and it was all these different forms of social media and why I was wrong about them and the people that I met. And I think about even when I first got started, like I, I, I had a Twitter account. And the only reason I had it is because somebody shared a tweet with me. And of course I couldn't view it unless I had a Twitter account. So that's the whole reason that I got into it. Then I never looked at it again. So it's funny whenever I see how long you've been on Twitter? I'm like, but I wasn't actually using it then. But the people that I've met, so many, I've had these, these relationships, these friendships build over a course of two, three, four years before having even met them in person. And it's like, thankfully, you have those. And even it just now in this past year where we have been able to go to conferences in person and meet, how many people have we each met through online webinars, conferences, whatever, that now, whatever we can go back, like we already know these people, so we're gonna get to see them. But just imagine if we didn't even have the technology to do this, how isolating that would be. It's just having that support, knowing that you have all of these. And now doing all of these things, like, oh, I'm on all the social media, it's a lot. There's thousands of not notifications to keep up with. But just finding one or two spaces where you know that if you put a question out there, that if you leave a message on Voxer, which is something else I like to use, that somebody's going to answer you. And it's not just, a person down the hall from you. It could be any, whoever you're connected with from all around the world. So you're getting all these different experiences and 
that's the biggest thing is to make sure that you reach out. Because for me, for many of those first years of teaching pre-law school, I kept to myself and I was embarrassed to say that I was having problems with behaviors in my classroom, or I didn't really know how to do a lesson plan. And I didn't know what some of these things meant because I thought that that would seem like I was a failure or that I didn't belong in the classroom. And so I kept it to myself. And now I think back, wow, how many things would I've done differently? How much better would I have been had I just said that to somebody? But finding time to do that, now we have all of these spaces where we can, and we don't need necessarily like a thousand people and to reach out and like, ah, I'm gonna tell a thousand people, but you need to have just a network, a space, and whatever the space is that works for you, then that's the one that you go with. Uh, I personally like, I mean, there's a lot of them that I like. I mean, I like sending you Facebook messages, Messenger is really quick or Boxer, you know, Slack, you name it, but lots of them are out there. We just need to pick one at least to start with. Yeah, and well, it's a great segue there in talking about how, what that has meant over the course of this past year. And that's hopefully, yeah, I'd love to kind of explore this and, and even like you're doing there, kind of break down some of these different spaces to just talk about where people can potentially connect, whether that be like you're saying through, through Boxer, which uh, I'm with you. I love going there for, and I maybe have a hundred people or so on there that I, it's not like other sites where you, you know, end up connecting with much larger populations of people, but to leave just kind of that short answer question uh, and to get something back is really terrific. But uh, over the course of this year, there have been more, uh, this past year, there have been more opportunities that have opened up. And so maybe we can talk to some of those, connect with other educators most frequently through, I think right off the top, we should probably just say Twitter and just acknowledge it and get it out there. <laughs> There's that. Uh, but what are some others? Yeah, uh, Twitter, definitely, Voxer, and then Clubhouse has become another one that I, I didn't think that I would get involved in because one, I don't have an iPhone. So I thought I was safe and not having to make that decision whether or not to add on one more thing, but I do have an iPad and I didn't know what I thought about it initially because I thought, gosh, it's another thing. I thought it was like Voxer, but I've been using that so much more than Twitter chats just because it's so nice to not technically have to look at the screen because you're not reading something and to be able to engage in synchronous conversations with people or just to listen and hear the ideas people are sharing while you're multitasking, while you're walking, or while you're sitting at your computer looking some of these ideas up that they're sharing depending on the topic. And so I have just, I've been amazed at one, that it's free to join in if you can get onto Clubhouse. And two, the number of people that join in and you know they're joining in from all around the world and then the new connections that you're making and then of course you can send messages on Twitter and all the other spaces too. So Clubhouse has been great. I've been opening up some of my own discussion rooms. I've been helping to co-moderate some others during the week. And uh, I don't know, I think it's a really great space to learn on different topics that you can kind of scroll through. And maybe it's not even education because there's one that I really like. It's on uh, Chris Voss, FBI negotiation and tactics, but he's like the one of the lead FBI negotiators. I even just bought his his book to read, but it was just a fascinating conversation. And so for anybody who's looking to learn about, who knows, I mean, social emotional learning, augmented virtual reality, artificial intelligence, equity, you, tons of topics. It's nice that you can just open that up, listen to the conversation and not really have to do anything. Just sit and relax while you're taking in some PD, I guess, or talk if you want to and, and make some new connections. Yeah, and for people that aren't familiar with Clubhouse, to kind of break down a little bit about how that works, like you said, it's an app and you open it up uh, and simplest 
way to relay this. There's a myriad of topics, as you heard Rochelle talking about. You pick one, and then there is, and, and help me with this too, because I'm still fairly new to this. So you have the stage, which yeah. is where a set number of people who have the opportunity to talk at a given time are there and able to just chime in live, uh, and it becomes almost like a live podcast. And then there's the people that the people on the stage know <laughs> that come right. next year. And then there's like a, another rung of the audience. And uh, it, it has been just really cool to, to be able to hear from the people that you typically are engaged in maybe a Twitter chat with. That, that's what I've found to be really interesting too, that some people, as you said, you, you kind of start to recognize their name or feel like you get to know them through uh, more of a, a text dialogue on a regular basis. Uh, but to be in Clubhouse and actually get to hear from them informally. It's been great, particularly at a time when we've been socially distant and <laughs> disconnected from the education community at large a little bit. Yeah, and I, I will say, like, I, I wasn't sure initially about having my own room because as a moderator, you know, you invite people to talk and then muting or whatever and kind of keeping the discussion going. But I set up to have, I think, a Saturday afternoon and a Sunday. And the Saturday afternoon that I did, and this is probably a couple of months ago when I first started, there were maybe 25 people that joined in and it was just on, you know, what are you working on? What did you work on this week? What are some ideas? And I think it lasted like an hour. And then the next day on Sunday, I had one at 11.30 a.m. Eastern. And that room, I was thinking, oh, I'll probably just go an hour. And it went a little bit over and I actually had to run out really quickly. So somebody who was in the room offered to kind of take over co-moderating and so I ran, came back and it was, the conversation was still going. And I ended up having that room open for like almost three hours, <laughs> which was, but the conversation was just, we were talking about student engagement and then there were some other topics that came up in it. But the thing that was so awesome about it was one, it went on for three hours, but you could come and go as you please. Two, the number of topics in the learning, it was just, I was taking page after page of notes. And then the other thing that was amazing is just in that room, off the top of my head, remembering there were there was an educator who joined in from Beirut, the Czech Republic, New Zealand, India, Canada, and Colombia, just for some. And I just thought, this is amazing. Like I, I think about my own cell phone. If I'm making a phone call to somebody that lives in the same town as me and I get bad reception, but I can sit here on this app and I can have conversations that are, that are much more clear with people in all of those places. And it's just, it's right here next to me. And I don't have to really do much at all other than just join that room and listen in if I want to participate. Like sometimes I don't necessarily invite people to speak. It's just a listen only, but still to be able to just sit here and, you know, do whatever you're working on and, and to have that, that opportunity to listen to the perspectives of others and actually to hear the voice. I mean, there's so much power in just hearing the voice. One thing to read it, but when you hear people talking about what school's been like for them in the Czech Republic in the past year, I, I didn't know. And then to ask questions to each other. So, it, and it's always fun to see when they come back in the different rooms, you're like, I know you, you know, you, you push on somebody's face to find out where they are and connect with them on the other social forms. But uh, I don't know, it's, it's definitely interesting. So it'll be, I'll be curious to see two months from now if it's still as popular because it's increasing now, but with all things, you never know. How long is it going to last? Is it like the new thing? Is it just a fad? I hope it sticks around because just the fact of the synchronous conversation, but you know what, there's other places out there, a skilled space has another Twitter has spaces. Everybody's creating these different spaces for this audio conversation. So at least we have options. 
Right. And you mentioned there too, the ability to ask questions. And I do think that's something that a Twitter chat doesn't always like allow for. There's typically, you know, there's three or five question sets and you kind of give you one answer and you might get a reply in, but then the next question, you know, kind of comes along and you move forward. And uh, yeah, for it to just evolve, like you said, and grow three times the length of the conversation you thought you were going to have uh, is unique, right. I think, to that space and, and a really cool feature. So Highly recommend Clubhouse for the time being. Who knows where it goes? But like right now, there's some great learning going on there. Uh, and over the course of this past year, maybe one more thing to, to bring up. I really appreciated StreamYard and what that has been able to be as far as an opportunity to share out live shows through different social media platforms. And it is pretty easy, I think, to facilitate the different kind of graphics and text on the screen and bringing people in. Uh, I love it. It looks a little bit more uh, visually appealing than being in just in a Zoom box. Uh, and also that that interactive uh, component, whereas people comment, you can bring that stuff in real time. We've done a lot with StreamYard through the ESUCC. And so, but that being said, it's been great to connect through StreamYard. So talk a little bit about some of the different shows that you've had a chance to put on through your Thriving EDU Facebook group. And yeah, just what your experience has been, because it's been really fun to, to be on some of those shows with you, Melody. Yeah. So StreamYard was, I can't remember the, my first experience with it. I know that I was kind of confused initially because I was a guest and then typing my name in and then joining in. And I, I could see myself on the bottom, but I couldn't see myself on the screen. And, and you're just kind of like in that studio setting, but then on the opposite end of it, seeing what it looks like, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. But then when I was doing some for uh, Parent Square at the time, and having you join in on you know Fridays to just kind of add in some just tickers and banners on the bottom, it was a lot of fun to do that. And then just having the interaction of people and then who you can stream out to. So if it's streaming out to Facebook, to Twitter, to YouTube, Melody is a pro. Uh, that's why I rely on her to do all yeah, of the all of the things with the information on the bottom and the comments, pulling the comments in. But I like that it presents that opportunity for people to like really interact. And so it's not like it's a webinar, although it is, I guess, in some regard, kind of like being in a webinar because you can comment, but the fact that it can go out to so many different places. And with our community, you know, in the past year, we talked about, well, first of all, I talked about having my own Facebook community about this time last year based on Thriving EDU. I never got around to doing it. And then over the summer, I felt like just on all social media, Twitter, Facebook, especially, there was a lot of like, negativity. And there were a lot of things going on. Not that you have to be positive all the time, but I felt like there needed to be some other space. And so I just decided on a Friday, I'm just going to make this community right now and invite some people not knowing about going live. And Melody and I had actually talked about it. She said, oh, we should do this sometime. We should just do you know, a show because she was doing them with Mandy Freilich for a while. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, I don't know. And Melody kept saying, oh, Rochelle and Mel. And I said, well, we'll see. So we did the first one. And when we started, it was just her and I. And then she invited two people to join us. I think it was like on a Friday in August. It might've even been July. And I really liked that experience of having kind of guests on the show. And so since then, we've been doing them on Mondays and Fridays and inviting different educators to come on and talk. And then we've had some of those fun around the holiday themed ones where you have joined in and uh, we have tons of fun, just kind of, I don't know, being silly, doing some different games, having conversations. And hopefully uh, our goal of course, is to create a space where people can connect, but also to 
to have some fun and whether they're laughing with us or at us, I don't know at times it's who knows, but I've gotten a lot of good feedback from other people who say, you know, I'm just glad that you do that. It's nice to see other educators. It's nice to hear experience of other people. You're funny, you're, you're ridiculous or whatever. You make us laugh. And so that's good. And so at the end of the day, start of a week on a Monday, at the end of the week on a Friday, having somewhere where you know that you actually, you don't know, cause you don't know what to expect when it comes to the two of us on there in any of the games we play, but it has been really good for me as well. And I, I kind of feel like it's a form of self-care in a way because on Mondays, Mondays are always tough. You're it's back to work, especially now there's so many things, you know, you have that weekend where you're kind of like breathing and unwinding a little bit, hopefully. And then you dive right back in on a Monday and I am tired, but when I know that I'm going to see Melody and whoever our guests are, I have that definite set period of time. Where we're going to goof off a little bit, but hopefully have some inspiration too with ideas and sharing the work of some other educator that makes a big difference. And then the same thing at the end of the week on a Friday, looking forward to, okay, what are we going to be up to today? You know, what are some fun games? And then to see people join in with when we play our fun, would you rather, or just asking some random questions or truth or dare. And Melody has to go out and sing you know, or scream Merry Christmas, I guess, not really sing Merry Christmas in the middle of Alaska to her neighbors. But you have to, you have to be able to laugh and unwind. And I think wherever you can find a space to do that in, where you can laugh, but you also have the support, then that's where you want to go. And I, hey, anybody's welcome in the Thriving EDU community. Happy to have more members join in and share what you're doing. And I don't know, I just, I, I like it. So yeah, if I had to pick, I would say lately for me, it's definitely Facebook Thriving EDU community and uh, Clubhouse for sure. I would just echo everything that you said about the StreamYard live streams because we, we've done that with, within our organization too. We do a Friday Love and Learn where we have people on from our uh, service unit that works statewide uh, and we ask them each Friday to reflect on the things they loved and the things that they learned over the course of the past week. And what a great window into the great work that folks are doing uh, to hear their passion for uh, what's you know, taking place throughout the week. Sometimes it even promotes some of the things that are going on or points mm -hmm. us to some new tech tools, things like that. Uh, and we did a Monday, we continue to do a Monday motivation session uh, as well every other week. And uh, like you said, I think a lesson from this past year has been that while it's always great to share ideas uh, and learn and try to get better uh, professionally, there's also that personal aspect and it can be about that too, right? And the, finding that balance instead of just maybe being entirely focused in on presenting something out, you know, making it inclusive and making it fun really matters. And uh, we know that, but it, it was cool to allow that format to be a place where that can happen. So each and every week, Rochelle, 30 minutes goes by really fast. So I want to invite you, I guess, then as we kind of bring things to a close to share, I don't know if you have any sort of message that either is just sort of pressing on your mind right now, or just something you'd like to kind of impart to our audience as we close things out with the pod. But uh, yeah, just give you a little space to do that. Wow. There's no pressure in that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Change the world in a sense. No, I know. Like that. sometimes things yeah. are just in the forefront of your, your thoughts though, or I find that that's yeah. the case sometimes. Yeah, somebody had asked me the other day, if, if you were going to put up a billboard, what would it say? And I thought, oh my gosh, I have no idea. And a couple of things. One that popped in my mind was share your story. The second thing was don't be afraid to try something new or take a risk. Uh, but I think most important, especially around this time of the year for the rest of the year, one, make sure that you make time for self-care and to take a rest because it has been a challenging year for so many reasons. I mean, not just in education, just in the world, 
but uh, find something that is enjoyable, that gives you a break from work, that helps you to connect with other people, especially in a time where we're not able to go to whatever it is, if it's conferences or different events we might normally have. And this, I don't know if this is a pressing thing or anything, but try one of the things that we talked about. If you have a chance to get on Clubhouse or you want to join our Thrive and EDU community, we'd love to have you and share your story. What's your experience? What have you been working on? What is something that has been going great? What's something that's just, oh my gosh, this is terrible because somebody else out there is having a similar experience or they might have the answer that you've been looking for. You just have to reach out and ask for it. Amen to all of that. <laughs> that's so great. And it's in working with teachers in the last month or so, I found that just encouraging folks to kind of raise your head up from, you know, we've had to just look at the next step in front of us for so long uh, and even dream about what you might want to do in the fall, but find an opportunity to tinker with some of those things and establish new avenues through which to learn like you're advocating for there uh, over these next two months before the summer hits. Yeah, can really go a long ways and, and also be a, an act of self-care in some ways because you're able to kind of raise your gaze up from the march that has been <laughs> this is this year so far so to bring things to a close rochelle thank you so much for your time for sharing out your great ideas here and and uh for your advocacy for all these things and uh really appreciate you being on the pod yeah thank you it was, it was always good to talk to you so thanks for the opportunity today awesome.